Uh, if you're here today, we're in the midst of a series where we've been taking a look at the book of John, and we are looking at John's account as he tells about the life of Jesus. Um, he part, one of the themes that he carries through this book is he goes through and he gives seven signs that reveal different aspects of who Christ is, what Christ has done, with the sole purpose so that we might believe. And so as we've been walking through this, we've been walking through seeing uh, Jesus turn water into wine so that we might believe. We saw him heal an official son so that we might believe. We saw him take the fish and the loaves and and feed 5,000 so that we might believe. And so today we're going to look at Jesus walking on water so that we might believe. So take your Bibles out and turn with me to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. And we're going to look at, uh, begin looking in verse 16. John chapter 6, verse 16. Now as you're, you're turning there, I want to take a, a, just a, a, a slight turn and give you an announcement as you're turning there. Uh, I wanted to remind you that this Saturday, uh, we are meeting as a campus, but also meeting as a church. Uh, we're connecting with the, the youth and adults from the Hokesson campus to work with Urban Promise. And so one of the, uh, one of the goals for our church is to um, begin connecting with the ministries that are already here in the city. And so last month, we worked with the Salvation Army. This month, we are working with Urban Promise. Next month, we're going to be working with the Sunday Breakfast Mission. So if you have time this Saturday uh, to come help us work you can bring rakes, work gloves, or whatever. If you have some special skills, like you like to lay tile, or you can put up walls, or other things like that, let me know, and uh, we'll let uh, people at Irma Promise know so that we'll have an opportunity to have lots of work. So I think we're meeting at 9, and we'll meet at Urban Promise at 9, and we'll finish up about 1.30 or so and have time for lunch. But then you'll also have an opportunity through the time to learn more about the ministry, what Urban Promise is doing in the city, and how you can get involved in um, how they're reaching children and reaching families for Christ. And so you want to be a part of that. If you're coming, please let me know that you're coming, and uh, that way we'll have enough work for us to do, and uh, we'll have a good time with that. So John chapter 6. Let's look in verse 16. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea. They got into a boat and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Let's pray. Father, uh, thank you for your word. And Father, thank you that you are a God that pursues us. That you are a God that promises comfort. You're a God that promises care. And that you're a God that is big enough to take all of our fears, take all of our doubts, and to fulfill them with truth. So, Father, today I pray that as we look at your word today, I pray that your words of truth would be spoken over us. Father, that they would speak right to our hearts. For today we are aware we come into this place as people that are broken, people that are afraid, people that have fears, people that have doubts, people that trust in other things other than you. And I pray today that you'd help realign all of that under your lordship. Father, may we be people that are fully surrendered to you, fully ready to follow you wherever you lead. And may we just be obedient to follow you through life's storms, through life's journeys, and through life's joys. 
but today, God, speak and help us to hear. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You know, we come to this, this time of year, this Halloween season, uh, where it seems as though throughout our society and our life, we bring to the forefront of our human experience the things that we're most afraid of. Like if you go down the street or you walk through the aisles of Lowe's or other places, you can see things that we, we fear or that we're afraid of. You see little spiders, and it's not just little spiders that you see. Somehow these people that make these toys or these other Halloween um, decorations, they're not just little spiders. They're like gnarly spiders that are super hard, huge with like lots of hair and lots of eyes and all these other things. Or we see things like ghosts. Like how many people are afraid of ghosts? Like, Okay, yeah, you're afraid of ghosts. All right, my family's afraid of ghosts, so that's good. Uh, not that it's good, but they're afraid of ghosts. So we see ghosts as we walk through the store. We see ghouls, and we see goblins, and we see zombies, and we see death, and we see things that we're totally and absolutely afraid of. And I think this time of, of year continues to remind us of our mortality. It also reminds us of the ability that God has given us inside of us to experience emotions deeply. Like how many of you think back to a time, maybe as you are younger, and you can think back to this time of year where you felt like utter fear and dread. Like you didn't want to walk that way home after school because you're going to go by that house that has the cemetery in their front yard. Anybody ever do that? But I want us to see today that, that being scared, and that's what we try to do during this time, being scared and being afraid are two different emotions that we experience through life and we experience this time of year. But one of those emotions is healthy. One of those emotions is sin. And I want us to see just for a moment as we uh, dive into this passage, as we see Jesus reaching out to his disciples, we see there on this day in verse 19 that they were frightened. They experienced not just being scared, but they experienced fear, like the gut-wrenching fear that almost can lead us to paralysis. You see, being scared is momentary. Like if you're walking through the, your dark hallway at home and one of your family members jumps out from behind the door, like you're scared, right? That's okay. It's, it's, a, it's a moment of being scared. It's a moment of feeling this emotion and, and it's okay. It's like these haunted houses this time of year. Have you guys been to a haunted house this year? Anyone been to a haunted house? Okay, I haven't. I don't go to haunted houses because haunted houses scare me and I don't like being scared. And how many of you guys have seen the pictures on the internet of people walking through the haunted houses like being scared? Do we have a couple of those pictures? <laughs> These are actual people walking through a haunted house and they're actually feeling the emotion of scared, okay? Like why would you pay why would you pay to have your face look like that? Like people pay to not have their faces look like that. That's funny. Are there any more? Is that it? Okay. Alright. I, I like that one. I like that. Mom saved me, and she's like, "I'm not. I'm. I can't. I'm. I'm just not now." And Dad's just like, "Girls, you're all by your own self." So, so we see that they're feeling and they're experiencing the emotion of being scared, and that is something that is good. God has given us that ability because what kicks in at that moment of being scared is fight or flight, right? 
When we're at the moment of scared, we're either going to say, i got to get out of here because this is dangerous, or we put up our dukes and we start you know, swinging. And so we've seen some of those. I don't know if you've seen the videos on YouTube where guys jump out, they're trying to be funny, and they get into a box, and their buddy comes by, and they're like, I'm going to jump out the box and scare them. Well, sometimes they jump out the box, and they're, wait by, or they're greeted with the surprise with a right hook from their friend. So we see that, that that's, that's natural, that's a part of being human, and that's the way that God has made us so that we, we can feel those emotions and those are good and those can be healthy. But sometimes when we allow what scares us to begin to, to indwell us and we begin to think about it more and more and more, the object that we're scared of can become the object in which we fear. And this fear that begins to come in can control us. And it can become crippling or paralyzing. Now, we may become fearful about something that may or may not happen. So let's go back to the first example of, you know, you're walking through the house and, and someone in your family jumps out from behind the door and they scare and you're like, ah, you got me. And you move on. But if you begin from that moment, allowing that to indwell your mind and you think about all the horrible things that can be behind the door. Like you become so fearful of what's behind the door that you don't go down the hallway anymore, that you, instead of going down the hallway, you like go out the door and you come in the back way so that no one behind that door can scare you anymore. Well, that becomes fear. Like you're fearful of what may or may not happen from behind the door. And when we come to this place of fear, what we really are saying to the Lord is, I don't trust you. When we allow fear to indwell our hearts so deeply that we're, we have this object that if it happens, we won't, don't know how we'll be able to overcome it. We don't know how we'll be able to live. When we allow that to happen, what we're saying to the Lord is, I just don't trust you. It's like someone that has the fear of flying. They may have never flown themselves, but they hear stories about how planes crash and about how these horrible things happen on planes. And so they have this thing that scares them, and, but then they can begin to contemplate it. And as they think about it, it begins to arise these emotions inside of them. Their blood pressure begins to raise and the feeling of dread and, and overwhelming overcomeness of, of these emotions begins to change the way that they think and they choose not to fly. What I want us to see here is the disciples, as as Jesus is trying to convey himself and reveal himself through these seven signs, we see that Jesus is going to give this specific sign just to his disciples. He's not giving this sign to the world. He's given to us now. But at this moment, he's giving this sign to his disciples because he has a mission for his disciples. He knows that there is coming a moment when he is going to leave this earth and he's going to go into heaven and he's going to leave. He's going to pass the baton off to his disciples. He's going to say, here, guys, carry out my mission that I've come. I'm going, I'm sending you out to tell the ends of the earth that I am God and that I've come to redeem you. And so he's getting ready to to, to do this. And so he gives them this sign. And in the sign, he knows the mission that he has for his disciples, and he doesn't want his disciples to be afraid. Like he doesn't want them to fear, because what lies ahead of them is scary. Jesus knows that each one of his disciples are going to have to give their lives for his name, except for John. 
So we see that. We, we see that he, he knows what's going to head them, so he's going to help them begin dealing with their fears at this moment. He wants his disciples to fully trust in him. He wants to be the full object of their faith. And he uses this night. There's something scary about the night, right? Like night is scary. Like when you go out to the car in the daytime, like after a long day's work, if you go out of the car in the daytime, you're not as scared as if you go out of the car at the nighttime, right? Scary. It's a little bit different. So there's something scary about the nighttime. And we see that, that John even brings this out. He says it was nighttime. And he uses this lake to help the disciples see. But he also wants them to teach, to teach them something about the fact that he is worthy to be trusted. I want us to see also as we dive into this that fear makes us less useful to Christ. Because when we are afraid, we won't go where he wants us to go. And we won't do what he wants us to do because what may or may not happen. Like we see this over and over again with, with families. We have these families where I, I remember just the feeling of, of, of walking through Sarah's family. If Sarah felt called to go overseas and to, be, to give her, her, her summer to the Lord to go to Kyrgyzstan and be a missionary there. I remember hearing the story about how her mom felt this great fear for her daughter. And so the daughter, the, the, the fear that her mom had for Sarah could have crippled Sarah from being able to carry out God's plans because of this fear. And if we allow fear to, to enter into our hearts, we give God parameters of what he can and cannot do in our lives. God, I'm willing to follow you, but I'm only willing to follow you this far. I will not follow you if it means I have to give up the rights and the lives of my children. I'll follow you, but I'm only going to follow you right there. But if you ask for that, I'm not going. God, I'll follow you, but if you mean that it means following you, I have to sell my house and give away all my possessions to the poor. I'm not going there. God, I'm going to follow you until you call me to go into the city and make a difference. It's scary in the city. I'll follow you this far, but I'm not going that next step. When we set parameters up, on what God can do in our lives, we're really not following him. So we see here that Jesus, on this night, after he has just fed 5,000, after he has just done all this, and I, I believe even the disciples have still have the baskets, those 12 baskets that were left over last week, we see that they must have had those 12 baskets, and Jesus comes to them and says, hey, get on the boat. And so they go and they get on the boat, and they got these 12 baskets with them. And so Jesus comes to them and says, I need you to go to the other side. I have a task for you. I have a, a mission for you. As we see, as, as Jesus has done that, the crowd has moved in to trying to make Jesus king. Jesus tries to save his disciples from that, and he sends them out of the way. He says, go there, and we see that Jesus slips away. Jesus sends his disciples to Capernaum. And we know from the other gospel accounts in Matthew and Mark, we see this same feeding of the 5,000, Jesus getting away and sending his disciples on the sea. We see that that has happened in both Matthew and Mark. And we see from those biblical accounts that Jesus was seeking a time of solitude and prayer. And so Jesus ret retires. He sends the crowd away, sends his disciples away, and we see that Jesus goes and pray. And then we see the beauty of, of God's hand beginning to, to paint this picture where fear and faith begin to play out right 
before our very eyes. Last week, we saw that what we are, what we desire, we are driven to do. Like what we desire. So last week, our our desire for food, we're driven to, to feed that hunger. This week, what I want us to see too as we're walking through this is that we can be controlled by what we fear. Not only is desire a huge motivating factor in our lives, but so is fear. And fear needs to be properly placed so that we can be carrying out the mission that God has for us. So we see here that Jesus comes to his disciples and says, when evening came, he got, he, his disciples went down to the sea and got into the boat and started across the sea. So Jesus comes to his disciples and tells them to go. And what I love about his disciples is they're here in this place where they don't question him. They don't like ask him a bunch of questions. They don't say, Jesus, well, how are you going to meet up with us? Or where are we going to meet up? How are you going to get there? They don't ask the questions. They just hear his words and they get in the boat and they go. They simply have faith in Jesus' words. And they simply obey, and that's good. And what's amazing is that Jesus asked them to do a simple task that, that falls well within their comfort zone. Like these are guys that knew the lake. They grew up on the lake. They fished that lake. They had lived on that lake, so they knew it. So he wasn't asking them to go walk on water. He wasn't asking them to go to the moon. He was asking them to just get in a boat and go to the other side. And so it was well within their comfort zone. So they get in the boats. They knew what to do. But then soon, this great storm comes along. Now, great storms on the, on the sea uh, were not uncommon, but they were terribly deadly, especially at night. And so we see here that storms, and, and, and John uses storms here. He can use it also literally, but also metaphorically. And what we see here through is a great lesson that we learn about life and the faith of the followers of Christ. And this is one of the huge lessons that we see. As we walk in obedience to Christ and trust in him, sometimes the Lord will direct us right into a storm. Did you hear that? Like sometimes when we're honestly trying to obey the words of the Lord, he will direct us right into a storm. Like that just doesn't make sense, right? Like if God is love and God is caring for us, why would he know? For he has knowledge of what is going to take place on this boat. He knows exactly what is going to take place that night. And he tells his disciples to go. Now, now that may be new to you, but the reality is that's the Jesus that we serve. Jesus knows that there are times when he is going to allow our lives to go smack, dab, headstrong, right into a storm. Obedience to God does not always mean that we'll have smooth sailing. I mean, it, it would make sense for the storms to come in our lives as a result of disobedience. Like if, if God tells us to go to Nineveh and we don't go to Nineveh, we choose not to, it makes sense that we get swallowed by fish, right? I mean, that would make sense. But it doesn't make sense if the Lord tells us to go to Nineveh and we go to Nineveh and we get swallowed by a fish on the way. Like that doesn't make sense, right? But it does. You see, God is in the process with his followers those that truly love him, that truly want to be his. The Lord is in the process of removing all self-reliance, 
all self-sufficiency, all self-effort, all self-claim. You see, you see what he's trying to get rid of? He's trying to get rid of all of ourselves. That's really what the Lord wants. He wants us to come to the end of ourself. So the only thing that remains is him. For it's when he remains in us that he is able to do the mighty things that we see in the word of God. On our walk with the Lord, we will have troubles. Life is going to hurt. Things will get lost. Things will get broken. And the circumstances of life will bring us to the edge of fear. And then we are asked this question. Do I trust in Christ? Or will I allow this fear to control me? Like That's the question. Like when things happen that scare us, the question that we are faced with is, do I trust in Christ? Or will I allow this thing to turn into fear, which will control me. I've got two quick examples of my own life. One, I can remember the fear of being single. Has anyone ever had that fear? Like you're getting a little bit older, you're getting closer to the end of college, and you don't have that significant other person that's going to be your your wife or your husband. And like you, you lay in bed at night, and you think and you wonder, and you're like, God... I know you're good. I know you're great. I know you've got someone out there for me, but can you like bring them tomorrow? But then you begin to think, well, what if God has blessed me with this gift of singleness? Like that's the, I prayed against that gift. I was like, Lord, I don't have this gift. Please don't give me the gift of singleness because I want to be married. But we know that God gives that gift to certain people. But I can remember at night laying in bed, especially on Friday nights, like when all my friends are out doing things and they're like on dates and doing stuff with girls and all this other stuff. I'm like home alone all by myself doing the, some of you will get that later so I'm home alone all by myself and I'm, 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 I'm a, I, I start to get alone and I start to get afraid like God what if you gave me that gift of singleness and then what began to happen is it's deep in my belly like dread would begin to rumble up my heart rate would begin to start pounding as I start thinking to myself man there's no way that there's no way, there's no way God can bring someone in my life right now that I can marry. Like, it's going to at least take us two years to get to know each other, three years to, for engagement, and then we, i got to have a job and all. So as I played out this, it just became overwhelming for me. And then in a the moment, I would be tempted. Like, I would honestly feel like, God, if you're not going to do something tomorrow, I'm going to go out and do it myself. I'll go find a girl, and we'll, I'll go, we'll go to the movies. Even crazy girls, I'll find a crazy girl, and we'll just get this thing done. Now, we all know how that's, this turned out in my life. I was not blessed with a crazy girl. But as I was tempted to, to give up and go the way of the world, I had a choice, and I had to make that choice over and over and over again. God, will I trust you? Do I trust you, or will I be motivated and controlled by fear? The second, which has been earth-shattering for Sarah and myself, it's like there's great fear that parents have for their children, right? Like if you're a parent, you know what it's like 
to look at your children and you can just, for some reason, when you're a child, I, I'm told that as, as teenagers and adolescents, you have a part of your brain, it's called your frontal lobe, that's not really fully developed, that you can't see uh, the outcomes of actions. But as you become adult, an, an adult, especially as a parent, that becomes hypersensitive. Like if you, you can see that like your child starts walking and then you begin to just fear and you see them falling down steps, right? Like you're overwhelmed by fear because you're like, well, if they're walking, they could possibly go down and fall down steps. So what do you do? You put the gates up and do all this other stuff, crazy stuff. Well, for us as parents, we, we've tried to really um, be mindful of that, like the way that we care for our kids. But God has placed some things in our lives that has made our fear or our scaredness really wrestle with fear. Like we've had to wrestle with it as parents. Like Leah, Leah's a wonderful daughter and we love her, but there have been times in our life where she's just sitting there along with us and we're having dinner and all of a sudden she starts to choke. Like not just like, I'm okay. Like I can't breathe. Air is not getting in. There's something lodged in my throat. And if something doesn't happen, someone doesn't step in, I'm going to die. Like, and so we're sitting at the table and all of a sudden everyone looks over and like, what's wrong with Leah? Leah, hello. We don't know that she's choking because she's just not saying anything. And then all of a sudden we get freaked out because we feel this fear and we feel this scaredness. And so we're like patting her on the back, sticking our fingers down her throat and all this other stuff. And she's fine. And we're like, okay, good. Moment of scaredness. Thank you, Lord, she's saved. But then God has allowed specific times throughout our lives for that to continue to reoccur. Like Leah has, in our minds, almost died like eight times. Now in God's mind, he's like, really? really? She's not really going to die, but I'm using this. I'm allowing you to walk through this time to challenge you. Do you really trust me with your daughter? Like your daughter's life is in my hands. It's not in yours. You may think it's in yours, but your daughter's hands really in mine. There's a time that is appointed that she will die. And there's nothing you can do to stop that or bring that about quicker. Oh, okay. Thanks, God. Thanks for that. But I can remember feeling those, those fears of her choking. And, and Sarah and I had to wrestle with this. Like, you think about, like, grapes. Like, Leah loves grapes, and she's choked on grapes, like, forever. But you know what? We still have to allow her to have grapes. We can even try to cut them up a uh, 100,000 times. But you know, as we become more and more trusting in our Lord, we now allow our daughter to have, like, full grapes, knowing full well that she could choke. Now, I'm equipped now with the Heimlich Maneuver, and uh, I'm, I'm very much equipped. But we've had to allow our children to continue to remind God that they're not ours, that they're His. And no matter how much we want to try to bubble wrap our children, that bubble wrapping of our children paralyzing us paralyzes us in fear. So we see in this passage that Jesus allows his disciples to come right to the edge of fear. So like they get in the boat and they're, they're going in the sea. And we see that uh, first of all, they feel the first few ro- uh, the drops of rain. And I had to imagine to myself, they're like, nah, we got this. It's just raining. It's just rain. Rain is all the time. No big deal. They probably don't even think about it. So they're like, okay, let's go. And then the wind starts picking up it a little bit, and they're like, okay, we got this. We still got this. Band down the hatches a little bit. Let's redirect our course and, and, and start, start paddling in the right direction. But then the waves start coming, and the waves start getting bigger, and they become more frequent. 
and the wind starts coming greater and greater and greater, and it's faster, and it's raining, it's windy, the boat's being tossed back and forth. And they're being put into a place where they're outside of their comfort zone. You see, the Bible says here that, and and I think it's important that John, in just these very few verses, he brings out some very important points. He says that they had rowed for about three or four miles. Now, the other uh, passages tell us that they had already been out on the, it's it's really, really late in the night. So they had probably been on the, the water for at least six or seven hours, potentially. And they've only gone three or four miles. So with their best effort, they're trying as hard as they can to make it across the sea, which is about a total of 12 miles. After about all of this time, they're only a quarter of the way there. So with their best efforts, they cannot move themselves past the place where they are at. So as the situation gets closer and they're closer to the brink of death, They look out and they see something walking on the water or something coming towards them on the water and they gave in to absolute fear. It says here that they were frightened. The NIV says that they were terrified. They were doomed. They had given up hope. They were at the edge that unless something else or someone else stepped in to save the day, they were dead. And what do we see here? Like he always does. Jesus, just in the right time, steps in and saves the day. He begins, he goes out and he walks on water. Now just think about that. Those of you guys that are analytical, think just for a moment how amazing it is like that Jesus could walk on water. He wasn't on like floatable feet. He didn't have boats on his shoes. He didn't have a jet pack. He was walking on the water. So what that means is the chemical change or the change that had to take place in the water had to be something that was amazing. Like as the water could around be still roaring and foaming and all this other stuff, Jesus is like walking on the water. He's like surfing the waves without a surfboard. He comes out to his disciples that are out there. I love the picture that we see of Jesus here. Jesus is not someone that's sitting back, just allowing life to happen when we encounter the storm. Like he's just not like directing us into the storm and saying, hey, all right, go for it. Do your best. What we see is he pursues the boat. Like he comes out to the people that were at their point of fear. And he does that for us too. So he's pursuing, and Jesus is not only just pursuing the boat, but he's overcoming the storms and the waves as he's doing that. And he meets his disciples right at their point of need. And he says these sweet, blessed words. It is I do not be afraid. Now, these are the most comforting words I think we can see from a loving Savior. For those of you who have kids or were a kid at one time and you had a bad dream, what words do you use or were used to comfort you? Like your parents come to you and they hold you and they're like, hey, baby, don't be afraid. Daddy's here. Like, Daddy's here. I got this. No, you don't have to worry about it. I got this. That's exactly what Jesus said to his disciples in a very loving, caring 
way. Though the world around you seems like it's falling apart, though you could die at any second, I got this. Don't be afraid. It's I. I am here and I am with you. Jesus shows amazing care for his followers. And here's the thing. Is you can't feel that from your Savior. You can't feel that care from a Savior unless you're walking through the storm. Like you don't get to see that side of the face of Christ. Like if the face of Christ to you is only good things, then you never get to see the tender loving care when things are bad. beautiful, beautiful, beautiful side of our Savior. From the other accounts, we see that, and from this account too, as soon as the disciples see who was there, we see that they were glad and they welcomed him into the boat. Oh, man. Jesus is there. And all he wants us to do is welcome it into the boat. Just say, Jesus, I'm no longer, I'm not afraid of you. I love you. I need you. Come into the boat. Like we don't got this. But you do. And we welcome into the boat and he takes care of it all. And I love this. This is different than the other uh, gospel accounts. It says in the other gospel accounts that immediately the storm stopped. But we see here in verse 21, as soon as they entered him into the boat, what is different? says here, not immediately does the storm stop, but immediately the boat lands where it was supposed to land. Like in immediate of time, God takes them from being only three miles, takes them the rest of the way and almost like an instant. So not only is he changing the chemical structure of the water, he also supersedes distance and time. Or maybe it is just that the disciples don't notice the time because they're so enthralled with their savior. Their eyes have been turned away from the storm that they turn back to Jesus and they don't even notice the time. It could be that, but I really believe Jesus took them immediately to the, to the safety. Have you ever been there before? Have you ever been in a place where you're honestly trying to follow the Lord and a storm creeps in like things start going crazy you're like god i'm being obedient i'm doing exactly what you've asked me to do i don't understand it but i'm going and then things just start happening fear begins to creep in and we forget about god and we come to the place of where we may even ask ourselves like the israelites did over and over and over again in the old testament lord did you do all this did you bring us here just so that we will die like has that ever been the posture of your heart before god Like, have you brought us here, God, just to let us die? If you haven't, you will. You'll be there. You'll be there at that place where the wheels fall off in your life, and you'll be threatened or you'll be be prompted or moved to, to ask that question of God, why? Or God, why did you bring me here just to die? But how you respond in those moments will speak about what you fear or where your faith is in. I, I, wish, I wish the disciples would have responded in a different way. I wish I would respond in a different way. Like, you guys remember the movie Titanic? 
Like when they first get on the ship, Jack and Rose, they meet each other and they're going to have this romantic time together and not going to go into all that. But we see another part of the movie where Jack takes Rose to the very, very front of the ship. And at the very, very front of the ship, there's this, this railing that goes around the very front of the ship. And what does he ask her to do? He says, Rose, I want to show you something. He says, climb up on there. So she climbs up on there. She's not allowed to see her. She's got her eyes closed. And he's got his arms around and he's holding on to her. And he says, okay, Rose, open your eyes. And she opens her eyes, and she can't see anything. All she feels is the wind in her face and the open sea. She can't see the boat that's behind her. All she's out there seeing is seeing this vastness of this ocean. And she opens up her arms, and she says this, I'm flying, Jack. I'm flying. I wish we could be more like Rose. When the Lord, like Jack, leads us to the front of the ship. And he all along the way, he's saying, do you trust me? Just trust me. Just trust me. Just trust me. And then we go there and he says, open your eyes. This is, this is the path that is coming next for you. And we say, I'm flying. I'm flying. But that's the point of surrender. That's the place of surrender. That's exactly the place where God wants his followers to be. So when you're in that place of fear, when you're in that place of challenge, trust in the Lord. Trust in his words. Trust in his ability to allow his words to speak over you. And in our greatest moments of need, know that he will be there. For it's different now. No longer do we need Jesus, wait for Jesus to show up on on the sea. Jesus is in us if we are believers. The full power and presence of Christ lives inside of us. So no longer do we have to wait for him to come. He's already here. We just have to welcome him in. And just say, God, I don't understand this. I don't, I'm afraid, but I trust. And we respond by being glad and taking him in. And when we invite him in, we allow him to be the true object of our faith. And he comforts us, and then he moves us. See, the storm may still be there, but it won't matter. Because we're being cared for by God. See, God allows storms in our lives to come so that we can see ourselves for who we really are. We can see that we don't have it all together. Why does God allow people to die in our lives? Why does God allow our material possessions to be taken away from us? Why does God allow our jobs to end? Why does God allow war? Why does God allow bad things to happen? God allows those challenges in our lives so that we can see that we are people in need and we don't have it all together. But it's in those moments that true followers of Christ are also reminded of who he really is. He is our all-sufficient Savior. He is the one is that all he is the one that we are only supposed to need. And we are always supposed to respond to fear with faith, saying, Lord, I will trust you. So today, as we come to the end of this time of looking at God's word, the challenge comes back to you, the hearers of God's word. What is it right now? that the Lord is allowing you to feel that fear about? Is it your finances? Like, do you look at your checkbook and you're like, God, I don't know how we're gonna do this. 
Like, and you're tempted at times to not, not give the Lord uh, parts of your, your offerings and your tithes. You're tempted because you're like, I don't know how we're gonna pay the bills this month. And you get that feeling of dread and fear and you're like, we gotta hold it back. Respond in just faith. Or maybe you're here and you're like, you're looking at your marriage and your marriage is falling apart. Maybe you're like, I can't even look at my spouse and I don't even like that person. Maybe God's brought you to that place because you're not all right. Maybe it's not the other person the problem is in. Maybe it's you. Maybe you've stopped trusting in the Lord. Maybe you've stopped allowing God to be the place of your object and you're looking for other things instead of Christ and what God has done in your marriage to be that all-sufficient place. Maybe you're here and the Lord is just preparing you for something greater and you don't understand it. But you're, you're tempted to stay where it's comfortable or you feel the Lord calling you to move out to where it's uncomfortable. Wherever you're at today, just trust the Lord. Trust him, trust him, trust him, trust him, trust him because he will never let you down. Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving us this time. Thank you for giving us your word. And Father, we know that um, the mission that is before us as your followers is great, but you are greater. And Father, we know that we will be hindered by what we fear. What we fear will cause us not to carry out your mission. So Father, I pray that you reveal the things that we hold, that we want to hold on to that make us afraid. Reveal those to us, Father, so that we may surrender them to you, so that we may see you as an all-sufficient Savior. And may we follow you in absolute and utter obedience. In Jesus' name we pray.